Welcome to Kingdom 101 once more. We took a short break and we have returned. We want to welcome all of you here, especially those also listening in to our SoundCloud. We welcome you back and we hope you have not missed us too much. Let's pray and then we'll get into this evening's teaching immediately. Father, we want to commit this time to you. Once again, Lord, we ask you to open our eyes that we can see what you want to show us. We pray also, Lord, let our ears be hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church at this time. And we pray for our hearts to be good ground so that, Lord, there will be fruit, 30, 60, even 100-fold. I pray for all gathered here, those listening in, and be with me also. Everything that has been prepared, we yield it back to you, Lord. Lord, speak through your servant. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. We bless you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Tonight's title is Read the Fine Print. I wonder if you make a habit of reading the fine print. If you are a lawyer, I think you'll be very careful, right? Every time you get to contracts, you get to anything that is written, you read every word and you try to decipher what it actually means and what it stands for. You know, but today in social media, especially you've got Facebook, uh, Twitter, you realize when you sign up for an account, there will always be a terms and conditions, now, they will send you certain things almost like uh, immediately and you're supposed to click I accept or agree. Now, how many of you actually read it? Nobody reads it, right? Too much trouble, right? Yeah, that, that's the whole thing. We don't read the, the contract, much less the fine print. We just presume that everything is going to be okay, but then you realize you just sign your life away. How do we read the fine print? Now, okay, social media, maybe, you know, now we say it's all right, but how about other contracts? Do you read the fine print? If you are entering into a sales contract, do you read everything? Not really, right? We just sign, right? As long as you have a nice 42-inch uh, TV uh, delivered, that'll be fine. Uh, how about insurance policies? Sometimes read also don't understand. Uh, all, the, all the kind of words and the phrasings and all. How about job offers? Oh, they all must read, right? Huh? Ah, how many days leave? How much people paying you? Correct? Huh? And whether uh, your promotion is due at a certain time. Ah, that one you read, right? But even then, sometimes we miss the fine print, right? The termination clauses and other things, the fringe benefits, whether we have or we don't have. How about one more, one more? How about wedding vows? Forget already, right? Just say and then amen, huh? Anyway, do you know wedding vows also got fine print? They just don't print it out. <laughs> so read the fine print. Right? First, I, I, I'm talking about terms and conditions, right? I'm talking about things that we at least should understand and we should know and we should know what is stated. Now let me ask you, what about being a Christian? What about following Jesus? Do you think there would be some fine print just there? Or is it just, uh, just believe lie, and go to heaven, no? Sign, sealed, delivered. That's all you need to do. Just, just believe, just go to heaven, it'll be fine. Or as long as you mark your attendance in church every week, that's cool. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Or if you want to follow Jesus, that means you are a disciple. So I guess if I sign up for a discipleship class or if I'm in a group called a discipleship group, that means I'm a good disciple already. Don't have to worry about so, so many things, right? Or we just accept Jesus and there will be no more problems. Who says amen? You know that's not true, right? Yeah, but many people believe in that one broad statement. 
Or if you believe in Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you will be blessed abundantly and you'll be super prosperous. You'll have whatever you ask for. Amen. And that is what we are hearing nowadays, correct? And so when you say, I accept, I want to follow Jesus, what does it really mean? This is what I'm trying to push you to ask a little bit more this evening. Right? And as you are going through this passage, what does the passage say? What does the Bible say? What does our king have to say about this? What do you think would be his terms and conditions? Do you think he has any? Or today we are so happy with this one word called unconditional. That we apply unconditional to everything that might have a condition, but we just say we don't have to know it because unconditional love would cover everything. Maybe we should read the fine print. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. And let's explore this little section down here. And when Jesus saw great multitudes among him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now here comes the fine print. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Here comes the fine print again. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. few verses down here. What can we learn from this? Now, if we have been going through this journey together, you know, we're in chapter 8 and chapter 9, and these two chapters summarize uh, 10 miracle accounts of Jesus. It records these power encounters for us. But tucked in between these power encounters, you will see two what I call discipleship footnotes. Somehow, in between all the ministry and all the miracles and all the marvelous works that Jesus did, there are two discipleship lessons that Matthew includes in this section. And the first one involves um, two unknown and unnamed persons. And it's very interesting. And when you look at these two persons, you could say maybe they represent like the clergy, a scribe, and it could represent also like a congregation member, you know, one of his disciples. So someone here is like a professional clergy and someone here is like a typical church member. One presumed his readiness to follow and the other gave a procrastinated response. Now as we look at this, I want you to see that multitude and ministry, they are both important. But Jesus himself was extremely clear of his assignment. That he doesn't allow the people to dictate what he should be doing. He's very clear of where he's headed how he's going, the rest that he needs. He's clear of his area of operation. And many of these areas of operation would involve what we call the other side. Many times you read in the Bible, Jesus will tell his disciples, let's cross to the other side. But there's so much work here. No, let's go to the other side. Or he will tell the people, let's come away for a little while. Let's move somewhere else. Oh, but there's just so many people. No, let's pull away. Jesus knows exactly what he needs to do. And it is in these, what I call, in-between times that Jesus will disengage from the crowds, that he may engage with his disciples at a much deeper level. 
Now, if you are in ministry and if you are leading anyone, this is a very important thing for you to understand. It's not always about the crowds. It's not always about the things that you need to do, important as they are. And we have an entire teaching called From Mountain to the Multitudes. Right? You can't just be stuck on the mountain. There's a time to be on the mountain and there's a time to get out into the multitudes. But you see, there's a time also as you minister, you need to disengage so that you can engage more deeply the ones you're trying to lead. And so when I'm not teaching Kingdom 101, when I'm not preaching, you know, out in the churches and so on, you'll find me having dimkopi, having waffles, you know, having little little eating times and drinking times with, with certain individuals. Why? Because you need to engage these at a much deeper level. So ministry and multitudes are important, but ministry and discipleship will always go together. As Jesus trains His disciples, He will use every opportunity, any opportunity to teach them along the way. Now again, take note, don't miss this. Because in Singapore, or at least in our modern teaching context, we are so used to attending a classroom. We are so used to attending a seminar. Uh, We sign up for a conference. I've just asked you to consider coming for a weekend with us. I mean, that's fine. But discipleship is not done that way. If you, if you just keep having classes and keep attending, you think you are being discipled, but actually you are not. Ministry and discipleship go hand in hand. And I think we have done ourselves a disservice. We have done so well in our training capacity and efficiency in Singapore, but we have done ourselves a disservice because we think the more classes I attend, the better I am as a disciple. That is not true. You will deceive yourself. Discipleship is usually done on the road, along the way, in between the moving to the other side. And that's why Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he then tells the the disciples, he gave the command, let's go to the other side. So as we unpack this, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you might be one of the crowds, you know, listening in at this point in time. Or you might be one of the disciples, you know, and you are listening to Jesus as these two men approach him. One says, let's go. And the other one says, uh, 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 wait, so hang on. Huh? And they're both already believers, but the, the scripture tells us they're already following Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting? They are both believers. They are already following Jesus. I believe they were already being discipled at some level. They wanted to understand a little bit more of Jesus. And now the king is saying, you really want to follow me? Okay, let me read out the fine print for you. Do you really understand what it takes or not? Do you know what I'm trying to get out of you and what I want out of you? And if you don't, let me make this very clear for you. What would be your response? That's what I want you to ask yourself. What would be your response if you were that scribe, if you were that person, if you were a crowd listening in and a, and a scribe is saying, you know, come on, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus gives the answer and you go, whoa, like that one. Huh? And the other guy says, you know, but wait, huh, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, no, no, let the dead bury the dead. Wow, Jesus, how can you say things like that? I want you to imagine this. You get my point? Okay. And so let's continue our journey. A certain scribe said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. This scribe comes to Jesus. Now, who is this scribe? What is a scribe? 
Today, we don't have these things called scribes, so it's sometimes difficult to understand. But let me paint you a simple picture here. Very broadly, this is a class of scholars. Take note, huh? scholars, trained. These are guys who teach, they copy the scripture, they interpret the Jewish law for the people. So if you read the Bible, you can, you can replace this word. A certain Bible college professor came to Jesus. Okay? A, a, a certain uh, a reverend doctor came to Jesus. A certain Bible teacher of certain level and standard came to Jesus. Now, before the exile, before Israel was taken out of the land, they were really only just professional secretaries employed to keep accounts, records, and to transcribe legal information. So that's why a scribe is someone who copies things. But when they came back from the exile, post-exile, they, if you remember this name, called Ezra. And because they devoted themselves to studying the law and teaching the law and giving the people the understanding of the law, then they began to be associated with teachers who interpreted and taught the law of Moses. So by the time it came to the days of Jesus, these were professional scholars and teachers, your academics. They would know the Bible, as it were, from the inside out. Now in the Gospels, these scribes are not portrayed in a very positive way, right? Every time Jesus had some issue with the religious leaders, it would be either the Pharisees or the scribes. Why? Because they were the ones who upheld the law. They were the ones who interpreted it, taught it even from the oral tradition. And they held so much to this letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law. So they were placing burdens on the people of Israel, thinking that, look, we, we must keep the law. If we don't keep the law, we're going to get kicked out of the land again. You know? So you better hold on to all these things. But they placed these burdens on the people, but they never kept it themselves. Why? Because it was impossible. It was difficult. Outwardly, they were holy. But inwardly, some of them were corrupt. And so they opposed Jesus, not only Jesus, but also the early church. So can you imagine? This is the guy who comes to Jesus. And his statement is, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, it's not a light statement. No? You just imagine this guy. A teacher coming to the teacher and saying, I will follow you. I'm preparing this. I'm wondering, I said, how can I give an illustration? You'll be something like, um, can you imagine the, the top Bible school in, in Singapore, the, the principal of this Bible school, college, world-renowned, you know, comes to me and say, Hanson, I want to follow you. Yeah, can you imagine that, that kind of a, wow, okay? And that's, that's Jesus. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Jesus. The scribe comes to Jesus. You've got to imagine this is how it is. I have a question as I look at this one statement. What attracted him to Jesus? Why did he want to follow Jesus? Why? Was it because of Jesus' great teaching with wonderful authority? Possibly. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount. It says that he taught with authority unlike the scribes. I mean, he commanded an authority that was different from them. And this guy might have listened in and said, well, this is the real stuff, right? So maybe he's impressed. As a scholar, he might be impressed by a greater scholar. Possibly. Maybe he wanted to follow Jesus because of his impressive miracles demonstrating his authority. 
Somehow, you know, he was te- he, in his school, he might be teaching a lot, but no miracle, eh? nothing come out, you know. And then he sees Jesus and says, wow, this is cool, man. So that could be another reason, possibly. But I want to give you a clue. The clue is that this guy knows his scripture. This guy knows his scripture. And in Matthew, as we have already learned, Matthew points out one verse, two verses earlier, that the physical healings were a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. Not just a good teacher, not just a miracle worker, but he was the Messiah. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. And verse 18, and after 19, this scribe comes and says, Teacher, I want to follow you. I suspect, and I submit this to you, I suspect he didn't just follow Jesus because of great teaching, because of the great miracles, but because he understood his scriptures. He believed Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. And that's why he was ready. He says, look, I've been studying the scriptures. I'm looking out for the Messiah and I believe you are the one and I want to follow you. And I'm ready to follow you wherever you go, teacher. The question is, was he really ready? That's the first hint. The scribe knew his scriptures. The second hint is the way Jesus answered him. So Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus uses this term, the Son of Man, in his reply. Now, why did Jesus not just say, you know, uh, the Messiah has no place to lay his head, right? Why does he just say, I have no place to lay my head, okay? He doesn't say this. He, he specifically uses this one phrase, the Son of Man. Because Jesus knew his scripture and he knew the scribe knew his scriptures. Now let's understand this term, the Son of Man. In the New Testament, it's mentioned like 88 times. In Matthew, it's mentioned 29 times. And the most basic understanding in the Old Testament, Ezekiel was referred to as the Son of Man 93 times in the Bible. God will look at, look at Ezekiel and say, Son of Man, this is what I want you to do. Son of Man, this is what it is. And so the most basic level is son of man just means son of man. Human being. You understand? You're a son of a man. That's what it means. And if you want to parallel that, and Jesus says, look, I'm like Ezekiel, a son of man. It means I am a human being, just like Ezekiel. Matthew might also be saying, and in the terms, that I'm also a prophet like Ezekiel, where I prophesy the destruction of the Jerusalem and the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. So at the most basic level, Jesus might just be saying that, but I believe there's more. And so you've got to go to the origin that the very first time this phrase, the Son of Man, was used. It's found in the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Let's read verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to this Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all these wonderful things. And so this Son of Man is not just a human being, but he comes on the clouds or with the clouds of heaven. It's a much, much bigger picture than just a title for a human being. It was actually a messianic title. 
that the Messiah is called the Son of Man. And He is not just a human, but He is also a divine being. And He will come from heaven. He will go back and He will return on clouds and receive a kingdom for Himself. See, Jesus knew His Scriptures. And that's why every time in the Gospels, you will say, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. So those who understand the Scriptures would understand that Jesus is claiming this title for Himself. I am the Son of Man. I am the fulfillment of this prophetic word. So the scribe knew His Scriptures. He understood Jesus. You fulfill all these miracles. You are the Messiah. Not only that, you are the prophetic fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And not only that, also, perhaps, he thought verse 14 will be fulfilled immediately. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And so the scribe might be just like the disciples saying, look, if you're the Messiah, you're the Son of Man, Oh man, this kingdom is going to be something, man. This is going to be cool. I will follow you wherever you go. Remember, the disciples had the same idea, right? Jesus, when you come into the kingdom, I want to sit on your left, I want to sit on your right, okay? When you come to the kingdom, make sure you reward me and you give me all these things. And they thought that that would happen almost immediately. And the scribe was enthusiastic. He's saying, Jesus, anywhere, no problemo. You just say it. You just name it. I will go with you. I will follow you. Now, what do you think Jesus' response was? Do you think Jesus was going, wow, cool, man. I got someone to follow me. Yay. One more. If I was Jesus, I would probably react that way. Huh? You know, someone would say, I'm going to go for the awakening event. Yay. One more sign up. Do you think Jesus was excited at the scribe's enthusiasm? Not exactly. And this is the interesting thing. He wasn't like jumping for joy. I'm not saying that, you know, he's not happy that this person wants to follow him. But Jesus understood how this guy was interpreting it. And so Jesus promptly addressed the scribe's expectation. Yes, there will be power. Yes, there will be glory but not in the way that you are thinking, not at the timing that you are expecting. And it's, it's like I, I'm imagining Jesus looking at this guy and saying, hello, have you read the fine print? I, I, know, I know you know the scriptures. Have you read the footnotes? Do you understand what Son of Man actually means? What the messianic title is? You just know that this wonderful kingdom, there's going to be this restoration. You're not wrong. But let me explain to you what the fine print really is. And for that, you've got to see that there are three aspects to the Messianic title. Three aspects to this one phrase called the Son of Man. The first is this, that the Son of Man is not just human, but also of heavenly origin. And because He comes from heaven, He has divine authority for His earthly mission. Now, that sounds really good, right? He comes from heaven, and He's got that power to operate in His mission on earth. But what we mustn't miss is that we mustn't miss that Jesus left the heavenly glory for the humiliation of His earthly ministry. He didn't come and bring heaven with all its glory here, all the gold and all the beautiful things. No, 
He comes with that power, with the authority, but He comes into the humiliation of what earth provides. And so He's saying to this guy, look, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I gave up my heavenly abundance and exchanged it for the uncertainties of life on earth. That's what it means. And so, you really want to follow me? And if you want to follow me, you've got to get ready for this. You've got to expect this. It's not immediate. It, there's going to be glory. There's going to be power. You know, you're going to see the manifestations. But in the meantime, it's going to be uncertain. You may not even have a place to lay your head. Now, you still want to follow me or not? And Scripture attests to that. If you read about the saints, you read about the apostles, they lived like that. They understood that there was uncertainty and things would come against them. They would be humiliated. And yet they followed the Messiah. The second aspect was about Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection as a means to fulfill His earthly assignment. The scribe might be wondering, oh man, this is the king. This is the son of man. A kingdom is going to be given to him. Wow. He's just going to roll over his enemies just like that. And I want to be with him. I want to follow him. And Jesus says, look, do you understand really your scriptures? And you see in the gospels, like for example, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He uses the term, the son of man. He's going to get a kingdom, but before that, what's going to happen? He's going to be betrayed, right? He's going to be, he's going to be killed, he's going to be buried and then he will rise again. Now, you sure you want to follow me? Because if you follow me, this is going to happen and it might even happen to you. You might be persecuted. Right? You might be laughed at. You might be mocked at. Because whatever they did to me, they can also do to you. The disciples got the wrong idea. Oh, I, I, I'm greater. I, I want to do this. You have to serve me. Jesus says, no, no. You want to know what greatness is all about? Then you've got to be a servant first. Why? Because the Son of Man, you see that title again? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. You swear you want to follow me, Mr. Scribe? If you want to follow me, you have to give up your professorship maybe. You know, you've got to give up your office in the Bible school. <laughs> your titles may even be affected, you know that? And whatever you're teaching might even be tested. You've got to understand what the fine print is all about. But finally, the third aspect, of course. Jesus' second coming. His final victory and when He brings judgment. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Oh, that's the big time. That's the big deal. And then He will reward each according to His works. But before He comes, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be a challenge before His coming. Is that amen? Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? And so before we go, wherever you go, Lord, I will follow you. And we just sang a beautiful hymn just now. I surrender all. Really, yeah? Have you read the fine print now before you sang that? Do you really understand who you are following and what is expected? 
Yes, you will have delegated divine authority, but you must also be prepared for humiliation and uncertainties and sometimes give up certain basic securities, but God will look after you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. Prosperity and prestige all sound really great, but if that is all you are after, you may be sorely disappointed. And Jesus was testing the scribe. Are you really sure you want to follow me? After you hear that one line, maybe he goes, uh, wait, huh, let me think about it. Right? Because as a scribe, he might have been used to all the accolades and all the prestige and all the position. If you follow Jesus, suffering, persecution, or death are all par for the course. I mean, there's no negotiation. I'm not saying everyone's going to get it, but we, are, we should all be prepared for it. These are all possibilities for anyone who follows Jesus. When was the last time we heard a message about this? <laughs> Maybe, you know. Today, we don't talk so much about these things. But you can be assured that when Jesus returns, He will reward justly. But in the meantime, you need to endure, you need to persevere, and you need to keep keeping on. So he looks at the scribes, smiles and says, probably, do you still want to follow me? Or should we just bury that thought? What would be your response? Speaking of burials, let's go to the second guy. In verse 21, And then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I like the way these two examples are sort of put together. And with my creative, sanctified uh, imagination, I, I think if I was that disciple, I also say the same thing. I'm all ready to follow. Remember, he's called another of Jesus' disciple. It means disciple already, you know. And then he hears this scribe going, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answering him like that. Nah? And then he goes, uh, maybe I better think about it for a while. And so he says to Jesus, wait, nah, can I go and bury my father? What is this request all about? Two ways to understand this if you understand the cultural context. One could be a request to wait until the father dies. I don't know how old this guy is. I don't know how young the father or how old the father might be. So he might just be saying to Jesus, wait lah. It could be years. Years. We don't know when. After that, then I follow you lah. So that's one way to understand it. The second way to interpret it is that the father could have already died, buried with, at the first burial. Now what do you have to do then after that? One year later, they will have to remove the bones from the tomb, like collecting the ashes, you follow? Huh? Remove the, 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 the bones from the tomb and place it into a box and then bury it in a side wall. So it's a second burial. If that's the interpretation, then the postponement will just be one year. Right? So first interpretation, wait on Jesus. I pray my father don't die. Uh, long, long then, I, after that, I follow you. Second interpretation, wait one year, uh, Jesus. Just maximum one year. We don't know when that is. And then Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. It appears very harsh and very insensitive, right? 
I mean, this guy wants to honour his father, wants to look after his family, and Jesus, why you answer like that? So we got to go back again to see what it really meant to honour the father and mother. What was the culture of those days? To the Jews, they considered honouring parents the supreme commandment. You know, it's the fifth commandment. You shall honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And so we know this, and the Jews held this to a very high standard, and that's a supreme commandment that they must uphold. And there are some rabbis, some teachers, who would demand devotion and commitment above the parents. And so if you understand Jewish rabbinic discipleship. If a disciple sees a rabbi, his rabbi, and his father drowning, you save the rabbi. That's the way that they would teach. Okay? But even then, not many people will teach to that level because they'll, they'll try to avoid it. Because honoring parents was still a, was a very, very key thing. Although they would say, yes, you must study the Torah. Yes, you've got to be in a synagogue. Yes, you've got to fulfill your duties. They would try to steer away from the issue of dishonoring parents. One example, do you remember Elijah? Elijah went to uh, anoint Elisha, right? He threw, threw the mantle over him. And Elisha goes to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20. And he says, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. Sounds the same, right? Let me honour them and then I will follow you. Now, Elijah didn't go to him and say, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. He didn't say that. His reply was, go back again for what have I done to you. You see that? Because honouring was important and they will give them that space to do that. But some rabbis of a certain stature, I believe they were able to command that kind of a devotion. But even so, even so, Jesus, who would have been about like 30 years old at that time, 30, 31, to demand something like this would also be quite ridiculous. I mean, he, he was considered young as a teacher, no doubt very looked up to. So for him even to make something like that as a statement, was very hard to also accept. Let me just say that Jesus was not against honouring parents. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. Because later on, in another teaching, in fact, he exposed the hypocrisy of the system where they appear to honour parents but actually dishonour them. Where their tradition was more important than the honouring of their parents. Jesus was not dishonouring parents. Jesus was actually making a much, much stronger point. And let me explain what this is. To the Jews, as much as parental honouring and honour is important, only one person's honour takes precedence over parents. Do you know whose? God's honour. Commandment number five, honour your father and mother. Commandment number one, two, three, and four all have to do with God. You see? So God comes first and then parents. Rightly so. You see that? And so they would only put one person above the parents 
who is God. And Jesus says, go honor your parents, but honor the one that is above, i.e., follow me. I'm not just Messiah, I also God. Can you see this fine print, huh? the, the, the nuance that is there? For this person to, to realize, for Jesus to actually say to him, let, let, let them settle what they need to settle, but honor your parents, do what you need to do. But I am God. I take first place over all that you want to do. And so Jesus gives his reply. Let the dead bury their own dead. What does he really mean by this one statement? At a glance, it sounds very rude, very insensitive. But again, if you read a little bit deeper into it, how can the dead bury anyone? Right? So obviously, he's not talking about his dead father. He's just saying, I'm not referring to the physically dead. I'm saying, let the spiritually dead go settle what is important to them. Okay? Because Jesus is sending a very strong message to those who consider themselves spiritually alive. So those who are spiritually dead, i.e. those who are still asleep, those who are in slumber, you tell them to do things of the kingdom, they will never listen to you. They won't understand. They will come up with a thousand and one things, reasons or excuses, and they will justify everything. So Jesus is saying, if, if, if these guys are, are spiritually dead, then let them do what they need to do. But if you want to follow me, you are spiritually alive, right? Then look for what is important. Follow me. This is what is the main thing. Serve the purposes of the king and of the kingdom. In a parallel passage in Luke, chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus says to that man, Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. He adds one more phrase. Not just let them do what they want to do. Let those who are spiritually dead handle what they think is important. But if you are spiritually alive, awakened, aligned, assigned, this is what I want you to be doing. You occupy yourself with the things of the kingdom. Very strong statement. My dear friend, I'm God. I take honor over your parents. Number two, let the spiritually dead go settle whatever they want to do. But you who are spiritually alive, you run after God, run after the king, and run after the things of the kingdom. You see, very likely Jesus knew it was a stalling tactic. Maybe it was to buy time. Maybe it was to procrastinate, to, to postpone a, a decision of commitment. Jesus wasn't against the, the looking after the welfare of the family. No, he was testing the heart as he always does. Isn't this one phrase given by this, this man or this disciple very common? Does it not sound familiar to many of us also? That when Jesus would ask us to follow Him, we would come up with a lot of things. But will we really follow Him? Will we read the fine print? Will you understand the whole context and will we say, I accept, I click. I'm going to go ahead with this. But time and again, time and again, I think our answer might be something like that. Yes, Jesus, I really want to follow you, but let me first fill in the blanks. Have you answered something like this before? 
Huh? Uh, I, I really want to follow you, Jesus, but uh, you know, let, let me get a good job first. I really want to follow you, Jesus, you know, but let me uh, uh, finish this project first. And you can, you can think of anything, right? I really want to follow you, Jesus, but uh, wait for my children to grow up first. We're always postponing something, you see. And Jesus would perhaps in the same way challenge us to say, what's holding you back? Are, are you spiritually alive or are you spiritually dead? If you are spiritually alive, then do the things of the kingdom. And Jesus is again not saying, don't care about your family, don't care about that. Because if you are doing the things of the kingdom, one of your assignments could be look after your aged parents. Right? Another assignment could be look after the children well, but with a kingdom perspective. You see that? So it's not the things you do, it's the perspective that you do the things with. And Jesus is saying, you follow me wherever you may be and wherever I will send you. But don't give me excuses. Let the spiritually dead give all the excuses. But if you are awakened, will you get aligned with me so that you can follow me, read the fine print, and be prepared for all the challenges that come? And you know, whatever I ask you to do, will you live for me? Now, if you're going to say no, then the question is, then are we spiritually alive or are we spiritually dead? You see, the questions of Jesus is always very deep, cutting right to the core of the heart. He's always going for the issue of the heart because I think He knows all the excuses. He's heard them all. Amen? And so here you have this scribe who is what I call um, presumptuous. He presumed readiness. He thinks he was ready. But Jesus had to challenge that readiness. Then the other disciple was hesitant and Jesus had to say, come on, you know, don't hesitate. One, he says, you better think carefully. The other one, he says, you know, don't think so much. So like as if it's a contradiction in terms, correct? But you see, he covers the entire spectrum. Jesus knows where our hearts are. He wants to expose everything that is inside there. Friends, I'm just here to share with you from this passage that following Jesus is serious business. It, it's not play-play. It's not a Sunday two hours and another cell group or whatever group for another two hours and attend a seminar every now and then. Following Jesus is serious business. The question is, where are you on this business? Where, which one are you? Where are you on this spectrum of the scribe and of this other disciple? You know, as I was preparing this message, I can identify with this so much. I can identify with Jesus, and I want to say this carefully. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. But if just to think about the ministry that the Lord has given to us, you know, people, very fast, people get excited about a new move or a new ministry like, like our Keeper's Awakening, for example. And when they see the ministry is moving, everybody wants in. Oh, you know, it resonates with me, you know. I, I want to be a part of this. And they're very fast, you know. And some, in the beginning, I, I get excited. Like, I mean, humanly, you know, I'm, I'm so happy. Like, I, I scared nobody want to help me, you see. But then after a while, I realized I need to sit down with this person and say, you want to help? You sure you want to help not? You really understand what this is all about or not? I have no church for you to come to. There's no ministry position to give you. You know, we don't meet regularly. You know, we just listen to the Lord and we do whatever He tells us to do. There's no office. There's no prestige. There's... And then very soon, uh, I don't see them anymore. 
when you ask them to do something, they, they, I, I, they are either busy with something or they are doing something else. Right? And it's like that, you see. And you, you sort of can identify with what Jesus is going through and Jesus is de- demanding 100%. And I, I suppose I could demand of myself and ourselves, encourage each other 100% not to serve me. But if we're all serving the kingdom and the king, don't you think we can demand 100%? See, following Jesus is serious business. I believe Jesus desires all to follow Him. He desires every one of us to follow Him. The multitudes were were following Him, whether with the right idea or wrong idea. It doesn't matter. Jesus was okay with that. But He could see through their hearts and their motives. If there's this account of the scribe and another disciple coming to offer themselves, we can safely presume that there are many people who will come to Jesus and say, uh, I want to follow you, right? right? Remember the rich young ruler, can I follow you? And Jesus says, yeah, go sell everything and, then, and follow me. And the guy went away very sad. So there are many people who might want to follow. Jesus desires that they follow. But he's not making cartwheels and somersaults just because someone says, I want to follow He's very clear because He knows all our hearts. So whenever we go to Jesus, He will define what it means. He will clarify what it means to follow Him. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And yet, He never lowered the bar. He never lowered the bar. He will read it out. He will point out the fine print to say, you want to follow me? This is what it means. You sure you're going to go? Are you going to go all the way? Are you very, very, very sure? He will present all the demands. He will present all the dangers. He will tell you, you might die. But He never lowers the bar. And I'm questioning myself sometimes. You know, sometimes we want more people to serve with us. So we say, Ken, Ken, just come. It's not about who you are. It's just your availability, Ken, already. Why? Because we're so afraid that people will run away. And our Lord is not worried about that because He knows that if you're going to come with Him, it's got to be 100%. It's all or nothing. He will challenge your affection, your affiliation, and your allegiance. Are you in? Really? Or out? Are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, He will keep asking you over and over again. Over-enthusiasm or emotionalism does not impress Jesus. You can have a lot of hype, but you can have no action, thought only. And sadly, in the church and in the ministry, we have a lot of people like that. We have a lot of hype, but very little action. When the push comes to shove, when a rubber meets the road, those who stand with you are few. Because someone else is running to some other ministry and some other hype somewhere else. Jesus was not afraid of losing anyone because He knows He's the real deal. I can't say that of ourselves and ministries because sometimes we feel insecure, you see. (laughs) But Jesus had no insecurity issues. He knew that He is the real deal. And if we don't follow, He doesn't lose out. We lose out. Is that true? If we don't follow, we lose out. He does not lose out, you see. So Jesus desires all to follow Him. He defines what it means to follow Him. And Jesus demands and deserves our all when we follow Him. 
Procrastination does not ascribe Jesus the worship he is due. Procrastination is just a lot of excuses. There's no faith, there's no obedience. Jesus is looking really for those who are serious, not just the emotional highs. Really, I, I believe Jesus is not impressed by all the falling down on the floor, rolling, or you know, crying, and, and so on. It, it, it's not emotionalism. He's not impressed by all these things. He's looking for the serious heart. He's looking for the long haul. It's not a joyride. It's not today, I try, try, tomorrow, let's see how. And then here today, gone tomorrow. In Luke chapter 9, the same passage that we looked at just now, in 61, there's this guy who says, I will follow you, Lord. But he says, let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you say yes, then your eyes are fixed on Jesus. You don't turn back. What's the problem with ministry today for a lot of people? I like, I do. I don't like, I give up. Is that correct? Why do we do that? Because we are not on assignment. You're in activity. You sign up for an activity, the people that you sign up under, they are very happy. So when you say, I don't do this already, they don't want to lose you. But if you're on an assignment, you do that assignment. You see the difference here? Jesus demands our everything. He demands our devotion. He demands our commitment. Devotion and commitment are required, but not perfection. This is what I want to say to you. Because I don't want you to go with the wrong idea to say, Ayo, you know, Jesus is demanding so much. Uh, I'm not perfect. Le. I'm not good enough. Le. You know, that is not the issue. Jesus never looked at the scribe and the disciple to say, are you good enough? He never said that. You see, His grace is what qualifies us. It's not our ability or our talent. Whether you are a, an academic scholar or professor or a congregational member just like this extreme of these people, Jesus challenges and says, are you ready to follow me? That's all. That's all He's asking. Right? He didn't ask for qualifications. So it's not about how perfect you and I are because we are not. And I don't want you to listen to this teaching and say, oh, then I better be careful. You know, I must count the cause. Yeah, count the cause. But many times when we try to count the cause, we are saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And then we disqualify ourselves. That's a wrong teaching. That's a wrong understanding to take out of this passage. Jesus is really just saying to us, read the fine print. Read the fine print. It's not just believership Christianity where you just believe and think that everything is going to be okay. There's a cost, there's a commitment, there's a devotion that's required. Following Jesus is serious business. And so as we bring this to a close, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. What is discipleship to you? What is discipleship to you? I don't presume that people know nowadays because discipleship has become a buzzword in the church where we talk discipleship but we don't do discipleship. We teach discipleship but we don't actually disciple people. Or we might be training people for the things of the church but we're not training people for the things of the kingdom. 
And in some circles, you know, we, we think that there, there are two stages of being a Christian. One is a believer and one's called a disciple. No. Christians are believers. Amen? Yeah, Christians are believers of Jesus. Believers are followers of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to Jesus. That's what the word Christian means. One belonging to the King. One belonging to the Christ. So if you are a believer, that means you are a follower. If you are a follower, you are a disciple. So if that mindset is already wrong from square one, we are fighting a losing battle. You won't be able to convince anyone. Once again, I want to challenge you. Remember that the scribe and this another of his disciples, these were already following Jesus. They were already disciples, as it were. These invitations are invitations to a deeper commitment to Jesus and His kingdom. And all of us would have that same invitation. Wherever you are right now, disciples of Jesus Christ, this invitation is for you also. Are you ready to go deeper with Jesus? Are you ready to get more serious with Jesus? What's holding you back? Don't be flippant to say, oh yes, 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 I'm ready. No, don't be flippant. That's what Jesus is reminding us. At the same time, don't be so cautious until you never follow Jesus. You don't get to choose. We don't get to choose to be disciples. Why? We've already believed. The moment we believe, we are disciples. What we get to choose is how committed we are as disciples. Can you understand the difference? If you still think you have a choice to make to be a disciple or not, that's a wrong decision. I'd rather you think today, my decision is not whether I want to be a disciple or not. My decision is whether I want to be a committed disciple of Jesus or not. Let me ask you a second question as we close. Are you following a program, a person, a celebrity, a pastor type, or are you following Jesus? you've got to ask that very honestly and sincerely of yourself. If you just follow a program, I can tell you, it's not going to get you anywhere. If you're following only a person, I pray that the person is following Jesus because if not, then you're not following a person who is following Jesus. You're not imitating a Paul who is imitating the Christ. If you're only following a celebrity and only quoting his or her slogans more than you quote the word of Jesus, something is wrong. And today's Christianity tends to be like that. We're so gaga over all these celebrities. I'm not saying that they are bad altogether, but I'm just asking you to check. Are you following Jesus? Because if you want to follow Jesus, you don't get to pick and choose what you like or what you don't like. If you want to follow Jesus, all your social media posts and your shares, I don't care how many likes you have, they mean nothing if you're not obeying Jesus. Amen? But you see, this is social media Christianity today. You can follow and follow and follow and yet don't have to do anything, but just click on anyone. But if you want to follow Jesus, it's Him entirely or nothing. And so my dear friends, I leave you with this one question. Have you read the fine print? Because following Jesus is serious business. Are you ready for kingdom business? Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the words of our Master and our King Jesus. Lord, we know you're full of grace and you're full of truth. And Lord, I know that often the truth hurts and it's difficult to receive it as it is. And that's why we are thankful that you are gracious, that you don't look at us and beat us, but you present it as it is, and yet you draw us, you invite us, and you say, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not about how good we are, Lord. It's not about how perfect we are, but it is who we are in Christ. And whether we have come to a revelation of who you are, Lord, and what you have done for us, dying for us upon the cross, buying us out from sin and slavery, Lord, And for us to really remember and understand, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to you. And because we belong to you, we belong to the kingdom. We are your disciples. We are are all ready to do what you ask us to do and go wherever you tell us to go. And so, Lord, will you help us, Lord, that we may not do this flippantly. At the same time, may we not do this with procrastination and not go anywhere because you are worthy of our following and our obedience. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters seated here and also listening in. Lord, we know we need your help. We need your grace. We need your strength. Lord, if we have been playing church only, we say no more. We want to be serious with you, Lord, because kingdom business is serious business. Will you help us Will you bring brothers and sisters alongside us? Will you teach us? Will you train us? And will you walk with us? Because you will never forsake us. And may we follow you, may we serve you, and be a blessing to many around us, so that they may also know you and love you. And we ask all this in your matchless name, Lord Jesus. Amen.